Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast. This is part two of a conversation with our special guest, Frank Abagnale. Frank Abagnale is a world-renowned fraud expert portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie Catch Me If You Can. In this two-part interview, Frank brings his decades of experience working with the FBI and numerous companies, including Intuit, into a conversation focused on how accountants can help their clients detect and prevent fraud and embezzlement. If you have not yet listened to the first part of this two-part interview, we strongly encourage you to do so. The first part of our conversation with Frank is available on our website at woodard.com media. You can also access that episode and all available episodes of this podcast on the iTunes platform. So let's get right into part two of our conversation with Frank Abagnale. Now, you spent some time working with Intuit. You mentioned them earlier, and you designed what many believe in the space to be the most secure checks anywhere in the world. Obviously, I'm sure they have the the chemical that protects from the toner lifting. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you did in the design of those checks to protect small businesses? Uh, Yeah, Intuit uh, was called the QuickBooks Secure Premier Checks. It literally has 27 security features in them to prevent counterfeiting and forgery. And I worked with Intuit and still do today for the last five years and not only designing this highly secure check, but designing how the order procedures work for it, how we verify the company is who the company is and that the checks are being shipped to the correct place, that they are being stored in a very secure environment and the way they are delivered and dispersed. Because you can have all the security in the world in the check, but if anybody can just simply order them and get them, then it's not going to be a very secure uh, document. And, you know, I have designed ADP's check for the last 20 years. I've designed paychecks. These are the two largest payroll providers in the world. I've designed thousands of other checks, but I've designed those two big checks that are used more than 800 million times a year by those companies. So when Intuit came to me, they said, look, we want to go way beyond that. We want to design the most secure check that can be ever, ever be designed, and then we want you to keep it secure. So if there's something new comes up or you see a new threat, we want to know about it and we want to fix it. So they have 4.5 million customers who use QuickBooks. They want to make sure that their customers have a very secure check. So everything you can think about, I thought about in designing that check, and it has all types of security features uh, built into it to keep it from being altered, chemically altered, uh, someone making copies of it. Uh, They have different levels of the check, so you can get the check with a hologram. You can get the check in many variations of colors. And most most important also is they said to me a couple years ago, can we design a personal check? Because if you're a landscaper, and you're going to the nursery and you're a small business and you're going to buy a bunch of things for a job you have, you're not going to bring out a big check with a laser printer or bring out a big checkbook and carry around the back of your truck. So can we have a wallet size check that that landscaper can write that will have all the exact same security features of the big check that would be used for writing payroll or corporate accounts payables? And so we designed that. So you can either have a personal check just for your personal account because you might have a money market account or 
an, uh, a private banking account where you keep a large sum of money in that account. So you want to have all the security in the check. Or it may just be a small business who has to go out and purchase things on the road and they don't want to carry around a big checkbook. They want to just have a personal check, but they want that check to be uh, very secure. So they've thought about everything. Uh, they're very proactive about this. They stay on top of it. Uh, if they perceive a threat or they think there's something new out there, they go back to the drawing board. Now, the reason this works, and I always like to explain this to people, if you went to a check printer and said, print this check for me with all these features, it would cost you about a dollar to $2 a check. So it's cost prohibitive. You couldn't do it. The reason it works is that Intuit is printing millions and millions of these checks, and the volume gives them the ability to print them at a very low reduced discount so that they're able to then turn around and print these in mass production with all of these features, technology in them, uh, and then when you call up and say, look, I just need 200 checks, three to a page and a checkbook, they pull those off out of the vault, they load them into the press, they print your logo up in the corner in color, they print all your account information, and they can ship the check to you within 10 days. So it gives them the ability, whether you're ordering 100 checks or you're ordering 100,000 checks, to be able to turn the order around. So I would encourage anybody, no matter how small your business is, or even if you just want a very secure personal check for your personal use, uh, to look at those checks. Because a lot of thought has gone into them, and we stay right on top of it to make sure they're always safe. You know, and we use those at Woodard. We use the, the 727-point security checks. And I've noticed several things that, that it has a thermal thumbprint, so you can you can rub it with your finger and, and it changes um, it changes the actual way the check this, appears. This so you gives the, yeah, this gives the teller or the check cashing store the ability to be able to authenticate the document without a machine use uh, technology. So all they have to do is press their thumb on it. That will disappear, lift their thumb off it. It comes right back and authenticates it's a real document. If you make a copy of it, obviously you can't see that. It will disappear, so it won't be uh, on the copier. And this is the same technology that we put on car titles and birth certificates so states can verify it's the other state's car title. It's just a great, a simple verification Technology. We also put a warning ban on the check to warn people to make sure they check to make sure these technologies are on the check and they're visible, the ones that are visible, uh, so that you kind of move liability to the person who's taking the check and saying to the check cashier, well, I warned you in this warning ban not to take the check. You ignored what I said, didn't look mm -hmm. at the feature to check it. So there's a lot of things we've thought through. So um, of all the checks I've designed during my 40-year career, it is the most secure check today on the market. And to be honest with you, it is probably cheaper than most checks that small businesses are using. Not very expensive. Not much more than the standard checks you get. Exactly. Get All right. So before we leave bank accounts, because I know that's a big area of vulnerability, I, I just want, I want to get your thoughts on debit cards. You're not a big fan. And can you tell us why? Well, debit card, this is my thing about, I've, I've never owned a debit card. I've never allowed my children to have a, a debit card. I have I've found a long time ago that the safest form of payment that exists on the face of the earth is a credit card, Visa, MasterCard, American Express card. Every day of my life, I spend their money. I don't spend my money. My money sits in that money market account or that savings account you're talking about. 
No one knows the account's there. No one can get the account. And every day I use the card as my payment. So if I go to the dry cleaner, I swipe the card. I go to the grocery store, I swipe the card. I put fuel in my boat, I swipe the card. I pay for the slip my boat's in, they use my card. I get on the plane and travel, the hotel, the airline, I use my card. Now, I will do everything in my power to make sure nobody gets my number. But if they do, and tomorrow they charge $1 million on my credit card, by federal law, my liability is zero. I have no liability. When I use a debit card, every time I use a debit card, I'm allowing someone access to my bank account and my money. When I use a debit card, I do nothing for my credit. I could use that debit card for the next 25 years, and it's not going to raise my credit score by half of a point. But when I use a credit card and I pay the bill every month or I pay part of the bill that's due, my credit score uh, goes up. So I always recommend a credit card as being the safest form of payment. It's really a very simple concept. If tomorrow you got a bill and there were four airline tickets on there for $8,000 and it was your credit card, you'd pick up the phone and call the credit card company and say, look, I didn't order these tickets. I didn't buy these tickets. I don't know anything about these tickets. And their response would be just put a line through that, deduct the $8,000 from the balance owed. If we need to send you an affidavit, we will. End of story. If it's $8,000 out of your bank account, you're saying to the bank, I never bought these tickets, and I need you to put the $8,000 back into my account. And, of course, the bank's response is, I have to investigate that. I have to look into it. could take 30 days, 60 days. Uh, so it just makes common sense that to use a credit card is a much wiser thing to do, and that's what I personally do. I've never had any issues. I don't worry about uh, doing that. Now, this is the questions I get from some people. They go, well, let me ask you, how do you get money? Well, there's two ways. I go to the ATM and I use my credit card. Now, it's my bank. They don't charge me any money. If it's not my bank, they charge me a $3 fee. But I know I'm going to make that fee back down the road uh, on points they're going to give me for travel or airline tickets or restaurants or whatever. But if that bothered you and you have a debit card, then I say take that debit, put $1,000 in that account. And then when you need cash, just use the debit card. But you're not exposing more than $1,000. And when you get low, just put some more money in that account if you want to use a debit card to get cash out of the out of the machine. But I highly recommend the use of a credit card uh, over a debit card. And one other thing I would point out to you is that I have three sons. Uh, when they went off to college, I told them I wasn't giving them a debit card. I said, I've actually applied for a credit card in your name. So it's your card. But because you have no credit and you're only 18 years old, I guaranteed the card. So because I guaranteed the card, the bill comes to me. I'm responsible for the bill, and I set the limit. And I do this for two reasons. One, I want to see how you're spending money while you're away at school. If you're spending a lot of time in the bar and I get the bill, I'm going to know that. Two, every month that I pay the bill, it goes on your credit. So by the time you get out of college, you should have a credit score about 800. You want to buy a car, buy a house, buy a condo, start your life. You don't need me to co-sign a, a note for you. There, unfortunately, there are a lot of young people who go up to college for four years. They use only their debit card. They get out. They go to rent an apartment, and the landlord says, son, you have no credit. You don't even have a credit file with the credit bureau. So I'm going to need your parents to co-sign the lease in order for me to rent you the apartment. So one of the best things you can do is teach your children to use credit wisely and give them the opportunity to build their credit 
while they're away at school. All right, that's all. That's all fantastic. So we're going to stay away from debit cards, um, and we're going to use very secure checks. And then I want to kind of turn to a little bit to the office equipment side. Again, when we were talking on the stage of Scaling New Heights 2015, you you mentioned the best way to dispose of hard drives, printers that have hard drives in them, and you mentioned the risks of copying sensitive information using publicly accessible copiers like grocery stores and places like that. Can you elaborate a little bit on why those uh, activities are risky? Yes, because since 2002, digital copiers have a hard drive in them. So everything you copy is stored onto that hard drive. Unfortunately, most small businesses don't know that. So either one, they have a lease program with one of the companies, Canon, Xerox, Icon, whoever it is. And in that lease program, they service the machine. And after you get to so many copies, they'll come and replace the machine and bring in a new machine. If you don't remove the hard drive, they're just going to take that machine back. They're going to restore it, and then they're going to resell it to a wholesaler. The criminal knows that if they buy these used copiers, most cases they can pull the hard drive out of them and they can then download everything you ever copied on that machine, mortgage applications, driver's licenses, marriage applications, and passports, uh, you name it. And there's a great piece, if anyone doubts that for a moment, all you have to do is go to YouTube and, and look up CBS Evening News digital copiers because they did a great piece on that where they actually sent in some reporters undercover to buy some digital copiers that were used from a wholesaler. They brought them back to CBS Studios, and they had opened them up, took out the hard drive. The first one belonged to the Boston Police Sex Crimes Unit. The second one belonged to the California Department of Motor Vehicles. And the third one belonged to a large insurance provider in the Northeast. So it is important that you remove the hard drive. Now, you can have them encrypted, but they normally charge you about $500. So if you say to the company you're buying the copier from, you want to encrypt the hard drive, they usually charge you like $500 to do so. So a lot of people don't want to pay that, but then they forget to remove the hard drive when they get rid of the copier or it breaks down and they're going to throw it away. They need to remove the the hard drive from it. And I'll be very safe. I'll be very honest with you. I personally just put all my hard drives into a safe because I've yet to find a real way, good way to actually destroy them completely. So I basically just uh, store them away unless unless somebody has an absolutely 100% way of totally destroying that hard drive. But again, uh, it's important that you remove them from those devices before you get rid of them. Otherwise, all you have to do is put a cable on it, plug it into your PC, and then download everything you copied. And I would recommend... I think that CBS piece is maybe six minutes long, but I, I'd highly recommend uh, the small business look at that. Um, okay, so great information there. Thank you. You know, what I see on television shows, shows all the time, you know, that's a very reliable source of information, you know, um, right. fictional television shows. But, you know, that the hackers and people who are trying to run from the FBI, they'll put their hard drives in the microwave and turn on the microwave. Does that destroy the information? Uh, no, it is retrievable. It's kind of like people who say, I use a shredder. Well, if you use a straight shredder, uh, the FBI's lab can put those back in 50 minutes. If you use a regular diamond cut shredder, uh, they can put those back together. So the only type of shredder that you can use with a micro cut shredder uh, is the only shredder that you don't have the technology to put that back because it cuts the paper to the size of a piece of rice. 
it's the same thing with a uh, hard drive. The, the technology is there to put those back. So I always believe that if the, the FBI has that technology or the government, so does the criminal. You know, we're dealing with uh, criminal gangs in Russia that, that bring in about $20 billion a year in income. That's more than a lot of companies in the United States do. So uh, when you have those kind of resources, not a lot you can do. Hmm. All right. So we talked about then some embezzlement um, activities and I guess, you know, the kind of scams that people can run. Um, you've got an interesting story of a scam involving emails between the CEO and CFO of a company. Tell us about that one. This is new. And uh, in the last uh, 12 months, everywhere I go, at least four or five people come up and tell me they've been a victim of this. And, of course, I mainly speak business to business. I don't do a lot with consumers, so most of my work is on tour for a bank. For example, this year I'm touring for BMO Harris Bank. And so when I go out and their corporate customers come up to speak to me after the presentation, the biggest thing that they tell me is they've been having problems because what happens is they get an email, the CFO gets an email from the CEO and sometimes they're very explicit. Enjoyed lunch this afternoon. Glad that Carol, your wife, is doing great. Uh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, I need you to wire $38,000 to this charity. And then the CFO goes and wires the money. Later, the CEO says, I never sent you that email. Uh, I had one CEO tell me that his CFO said he got an email from him says, I'm leaving the building now, but I forgot to mention that I need you to wire this funds. And the CFO looked out the window, and sure enough, the CEO was getting in his car in the parking lot, and he went ahead and wired the money. Now, this is a very well-known scam that's going on right now. Many big corporations are very much aware of it, so they're having to verify. The CFO is having to check back with the CEO and say, did you send me this email uh, to do this? And that started a few years earlier with the same thing with happening with company, like uh, me wiring my banker and telling my banker to send funds when in reality I didn't send that I didn't send that email to my banker. So it's getting where you almost have to verify everything. But certainly, if I had a company and I had a CFO, I'd say any request you receive from me to wire a certain amount of money, you need to get back to me, verify that I sent you that email. Well, and I'll tell you that the banks that have the double verification through your say, cell phone passcode, that's a great preventer for that. Now, my, my company is not huge, so I'm the only person with wiring authority. But if I gave somebody else wiring authority, it would send a code request or code to my cell phone and only my cell phone. And I would have to then relay that back over to the person trying to initiate the wire. So if your bank supports that, it um, it could help. Yeah, and there is a very brand new technology. It's called TruSona, T-R-U-S-O-N-A, and you can just go to TruSona.com, and there's a two-minute video demo on there that shows how it works. Uh, this is the only authentication system that's insured by an A-plus insurance company. So you don't have to do anything. As long as you're doing the transaction on a device, whether it be your PC or your iPhone or whatever it is, and you're using the token that is provided by TruSona, each transaction is guaranteed up to a million dollars. So that's a new technology. It's the only technology in the world that's ever actually been insured. Each transaction's insured. So if you want to 100% make sure that it's the other person on the other end of the phone that's wiring or requesting that information, uh, that's a great new technology. And we'll probably see more things like 
that come up. And one other thing I'd mention, Joe, is that today we do have positive pay and we have ACH positive pay, which works the same way. So I remind a small business that if you go to your bank and you ask to be on positive pay, all that means is that when you send write a check, you download through a simple software the checks that you've written to the bank, giving them the check number, the dollar amount, and who the check was made out to, which again is done automatically because you're printing out the check and you're, as you type it. That information is sent to your bank. It's stored. When that check comes into your bank to be paid, it's matched against the data you sent them. So they're matching the check number, they're matching the dollar amount you said, and they're matching who you made the check out to. If none of that matches, they're not going to pay the check. And so positive pay, and there's ACH positive pay works basically the same way, uh, is a really very, very good proven method that's been around for 20 years uh, of stopping check forgery, counterfeit checks, and altered checks as well. So I always recommend companies, no matter how big or how small they are, to be on positive pay uh, with their bank. And when you're on positive pay, you're automatically on daily reconciliation, whether you're Delta Airlines or you're just Frank's Barbershop. If you're on positive pay, you're on daily reconciliation. So you are reconciling every 24 hours of every day. And to me, that in itself is worth being on positive pay. But it's certainly something worth looking into to just ask your bank, usually through your cash management or treasury services of your bank, about positive pay. So just call the bank, and they'll tell you all about that. And if you want to know more about Trusona, just to make sure everybody has that spelling, it's T-R-U-S-O-N-A, T-R-U-S-O-N-A.com. And I understand that you are helping to design Trusona, so it's got a a lot of your intellectual capital. Yes, and I normally don't hype things that I design, but I helped the same company design what was called the 41st Parameter. That was a fraud detection technology. We took 10 years to design it. I was very involved with that company in designing that technology. We sold that technology to Experian for $345 million, and Experian has taken that technology now to 80 countries around the world. So most of all the banks around the world, most of all the major airlines, retailers, Amazon, on down use that technology. So we have started this new design of technology called TrueSona, which I think will be even much bigger than the 41st parameter. But this is for, it's not made for the population. It's made for a very small percentage of the population. But it's for that CFO who's wiring large sums of money, people who are sending data. That if, you're, if you work at a nuclear power plant, you have to get into your computer from home uh, to identify that 100% you are the person on the other end. And what I like about the website is there's a little demo on there. So you can just play the demo. I think it's about a minute and a half, and it shows exactly how it works. Well, that's fantastic. Well, you know, I just I just want to kind of cap off here by, by citing a study that was recently done by Bill.com. And in that study, a staggeringly low number of accounting professionals or bookkeepers specifically that were surveyed, only 30% said that they were concerned about the possibility of payment fraud for their clients. So um, in a stack, in a stack, Staggering, 51% disagree. <clears throat> disagree. Excuse me. 20% strongly disagree. I have the. I, I have to believe that after listening to this interview, those pers- those perspectives are going to change. Well, not only that, but I would have to say, Joe, in the 40 years of doing this, if I if you're an accountant today, 
and you don't believe that fraud is a problem, then you have a very serious problem yourself, and you're not doing your client a very good, uh, providing your client very good protection. We're reaching almost a trillion dollars a year now in fraud in the United States, just fraud. Uh, fraud has gotten way, way out of hand. We don't have manpower, the law enforcement, to handle all the fraud that goes on. So to say that fraud is not a problem, that losing money and from fraud is not an issue, that would just be an absurd statement. So if I was an accountant, I would be very, con very, very concerned about fraud. But also, everything I do to protect my client is just a value add. So if I can keep my client safe and protect my client by giving them simple tips or telling them we're going to use these checks when we pay your bills so that you don't have your name ruined or you have your account attacked, whatever I do, all of that is a value add. That's what makes me a better accountant than the accountant down the street, that I put my client's concerns first, and every day all I think about is how do I protect my client, how do I do a good job for them and make sure they're safe. That's the accountant I want to have, and that's the accountant you want to be. Absolutely. And if I want to be more knowledgeable about fraud and I want to help my client, you have some online resources that are available for free. Can you tell the listeners where they can go to get those? So just to my website, obviously, I sell no products. I provide no service. It is strictly my website. It's A-B-A-G-N-A-L-E.com. And when you get to the home page, there's a button marked Publications. Everything I write, I put up on my website. So if you're interested in embezzlement, you just click on that. If you're interested in identity theft, you click on that. If you have a client who has a small retail store and they're concerned about it getting counterfeit money, you can click on counterfeit money. It will teach them how to spot a counterfeit $100 bill, $50 bill, $20 bill, how to spot a counterfeit credit card. And every year I publish a 20-page four-color booklet called The Bulletin. I put it up on my uh, website under publications, and it will recap all these things we even talked about today, but puts everything down, all the security features we discussed. Everything is in there about embezzlement, identity theft, uh, and that you can share those with your clients. And, and you can take that bulletin on my website. You can download it and edit it, if you like, and then send it out to your clients. So we have no problem with that. That's why it's there for information. So it's very generic. But it has great information in it. So if you want to take it and edit a little bit and say, well, I don't want this page or I want to delete this piece of information or I want to add this piece of information, you can do that and you can send it out. If you want to know what kind of ethical thing you should have for your clients, their code of ethics, I have designed a code of ethics. I put it up on there. You can download it. All they have to do is fill in the company name. Again, you can modify it in any way you like, alter it in any way you like. But again, you have it available to give your client, if they're looking to have a code of ethics, to share with their employees because the code of ethics goes a long way to keeping your employees honest. And finally, when it comes to cybercrime, every interview I do in relation to cybercrime, whether it be with Fortune magazine or science, Popular Science, whoever it is, Wired, UK, I basically do that as a Q&A. So if you go to articles with Frank Abagnale or interviews with Frank Abagnale on my website, you will see them asking me questions and then how I responded to that question. So these would be the same questions your client might be asking you in, race, in relation to uh, cyber fraud, and you would have the answers there by just simply uh, reading through those. Okay, that is a lot of information. And folks, just to say that website again, it's abagnale.com. That's A-B-A-G-N-A-L-E. Correct. 
com and you can get all the information, the resources that Frank just described to you at that site. It's very generous of you, Frank, that you share that information with us and we can share it with our clients. It's part of your ongoing battle, your lifelong battle against fraud, embezzlement, and theft. And we are glad you're out there, you know, holding that line. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, and thank you so much for being with us today. Fantastic conversation. Again, if you want to learn more about anything that Frank discussed during the interview today, there are resources available at abignail.com where you can drill down. Great having you, Frank. Always a pleasure. And we hope to have you on a future podcast at some point in the future. Thanks again, Joe. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast and our conversation with Frank Abagnale. For more information about today's episode, to explore other episodes in this podcast series, or to learn more about our annual conference, visit woodard.com. That's W-O-O-D-A-R-D.com. As always, we encourage you to stay tuned in, stay connected, never stop learning, and scale new heights.